Have you been affected by the suicide death of a beloved friend or family member? If so, you're probably facing many unanswered questions. We hope to discuss some of them today. This is What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Life with your host, Marshall Adler. Marshall lost his own son, Matt, at the age of 32 and has since dedicated his life to talking to people who have also been affected by suicide. Now, here is Marshall Adler. This is Marshall Adler, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. And I would like to introduce a very, very, very special guest for our episode today. Uh, My guest is my wife, the love of my life, and Matt Adler's mother, Debbie Adler. So I'd like to introduce Debbie to the listening audience, and today's episode is going to be dealing with Debbie's journey through the loss of our son, Matt, because the journey through grief is different for every single person. So I'd like to introduce you again, my wife, the love of my life, and Matt's mother, Debbie Adler. Debbie, say hi to everybody. Hello, everyone out there. Um, I would like to start at the beginning because I think every journey has a beginning. And I think it's very important to see what we went through that it may help other people out there. Now, when we start at the beginning, we're just going to start with a phone call because that is when every parent's worst nightmare comes. So we got the phone call. Now, before that, we had called Matt uh, several times um, over a 24-hour period, and we got no response. And, of course, as parents, your mind goes to the worst place that it can go. And then we got the call. And when we got the call, it was from the coroner. Marsh, do you want to go ahead and tell them about um, when we contacted the police? Right. Uh, Thanks, Debbie. Uh, Let me just give us some background. Again, for for people that did not hear the prior episodes, Mm -hmm. what happened is that uh, Matt came home to Orlando from San Diego to say goodbye to my mother who was going to hospice. We had a wonderful time with Matt. He flew back to San Diego for business purposes and was waiting, unfortunately, for the call that my mother passed away so he'd come back for the funeral for his grandmother. And I talked to Matt on Thursday, July 19th, and typical Matt, he was just hilarious, breaking me up. We had a wonderful phone conversation. And the next day on Friday, July 20th, we were texting back and forth that he told me he was having a uh, female friend come over, they was going to take a shower, and would call me the next morning. And I would usually go to the office and do some work on a Saturday and call Matt. That Saturday, which was the 21st of July, I called Matt and I didn't get a response, which was sort of unusual, but I thought maybe he went to a concert with this female uh, friend that he mentioned was coming over and could have been uh, unavailable to call, so it was no big deal. 
since we were dealing with my mother in hospice, my sister Wendy was over. And if you remember that night on Saturday the 21st, we were actually watching an HBO special on Robin Williams. And unfortunately, we know that the end of the special about the documentary about Robin Williams' life dealt with his death by suicide. And when that happened, I turned to you, Debbie, and I asked if you heard from Matt. And I said, no, I haven't. And then we asked her son, David. Right. And he said, no, also. Right. So then I called Matt again and texted him again. And then I started getting a real bad feeling saying, this is really unusual. Matt never goes this long without contacting us. So what we did is we had to call the police in the San Diego area to check on him. And they told us they would do a wellness check. And they said they went to his apartment and they knocked on his door and there was no answer. And I said, can you go and knock the door down and make sure he's okay? They said, no, we can't do that. They said, we'll leave a note and tell him to contact his parents in Orlando because they're concerned about him. That night, I, I went to sleep and I kept on dreaming that Matt called saying he went to a concert, he was fine, don't worry about it. And then I would wake up from the dream and look at my phone and see there was no call. Yes, I remember. Remember that? So then Sunday morning, July 22nd, I had a really bad feeling. and I knew we had to do anything we could to get the police into Matt's apartment. So we called the police. Again, this was Sunday morning, and we were three hours ahead. So we were calling very early on a Sunday morning to the police department in the San Diego area to go in to his apartment and see what was happening there. They told me that I would have to get the building maintenance supervisor to open up the door. They would not knock it down. So trying to get hold of the building supervisor on a Sunday morning when it's nine o'clock Eastern time, six six a.m. California time was not that easy. It seemed like an eternity. When I finally got a hold of the building supervisor, I, I told him, can you please give the police the keys to the apartment because we need to know the status of my son. And when he told me that he did that an hour ago, I turned to you and I said, Matt's gone, because I knew that if the police were in the apartment and he wasn't there, they would have called us immediately. And because they didn't, I knew the next call was gonna be from the coroner. And sure enough, about two minutes later, the coroner called us and gave us the news about Matt's passing. And obviously our life changed forever. And the coroner actually turned to be out to be a wonderful person who helped us on the day that we learned of Matt's passing, but also afterwards. Yes. And I remember, Marsh, um, you picked up the phone first because if you know, you remember, we had your sister here from Colorado because she was helping um, with your mother. And then when we couldn't get a hold of Matt, I had called my sister, who lives about five miles away from me. And so we did have like a little support system there. And if you could just imagine our family room. And so we have Marshall's sister, my sister, uh, Marshall and I, our son there. And we're all huddled around a phone that was sitting on our coffee table. And we were all looking at each other. Um, Some people were saying, no, he's gone, like Marshall. And others like me were saying, like, until we get the call, I am just not going to believe it. 
I just couldn't go there in my mind because I was not ready to accept any of it. And so um, when the coroner called, Marshall picked up the phone and we're all like holding our breath. And all I heard was Marshall starting to, it was between a yell and a cry and I can't even describe it in words. And he just put down the phone because he could no longer talk. So I picked up the phone and I was talking to the coroner. And I used to work in a hospital, and um, I was used to when things go really, really bad, is that you have to slow it down. Um, any kind of tragic event or trauma, I think that my hospital experience helped me. You have to get the information what went wrong. And one of my, and I think that that's what kicked in on me. I took the phone and I started asking the questions. Matt had moved to this place and uh, we had never seen it. And so I was a little concerned. We, as a mother, I just want to make sure it was in a good place, a safe place, um, because he lived by himself. I think all mothers can agree that we just want our kids to be safe. And um, the, like I said, when I talked to the coroner, she was very nice. And my questions were very specific. Do you think that this is a murder? Because I had not seen the place and I just didn't know. And I was just going, no, it was definitely not a murder. And then I asked her some specific questions about it. And she explained to me, which I will not mention on this program, and I think Marshall will not either. I think some of the specifics of his death will just remain with our family. But it was definitely a suicide. And she had given me the reasons why she believed that this was a suicide. Uh, Marshall, do you want to talk a little bit about what the coroner later on told you about what happened? Right. What happened is uh, she's a coroner in San Diego County, and she said that she'll deal with two, three, four murder slash suicides a day because it's a huge county. And I talked to her weeks afterwards, and she told me, she goes, your son was a kind, gentle, wonderful soul. And I asked her, I said, how did you know that you never met him? And she said, my job is to figure out a person's death through what I could figure out about their life. And what she told me is that she saw Matt and she said he had a content, peaceful look on his face. And she goes, your son was an incredible intellect. And I go, how do you know these things? She said, I know what he was looking at when he left this world. And Matt had all of his books from his various years of reading was what he was looking at when he, when he left this world. And she said he went out in a very peaceful, content manner. And as you know, Debbie, we had the toughest thing we had to ever do in our lives we had to fly Matt's body back here to Orlando, and we had to identify his body. And what she said is exactly what we saw. 
and she believed that Matt was peaceful and content, and she just felt it was his time. And in some ways, at least for me, this was very helpful because she told me that she sees, again, San Diego is a very big county. She sees many, many deaths that are not peaceful, they're not content. And she was amazed that Matt was fine with the fact that it was just his time. And although it was sort of tough to hear, looking back now, it does at least give me some solace because we all know we're all going to be there at one time. We all know we're all going to leave this planet and leaving in a peaceful, content manner on your own terms in the big cosmic picture of the universe gave me some solace. And she was very, very helpful with describing what she saw. Now, as a mother, my toughest day out of all of this time was when his body was flown back um, to the funeral home and, like Marshall said, sort of ID him. We had already sent a photo um, to San Diego County. So, I mean, they were like 100% sure. But as parents, you really want to see them if you can. Um, so we went to the funeral home and I asked the funeral director, I said, does he look okay? Because I just wasn't sure how much I could really handle. So he's going, no, no, he looks okay. So we go into just a little viewing room. It's just Marshall and I, and I see him. And it's weird. I didn't cry. I was in a state of shock and I I just can't describe my feelings. I was devastated because you always think that maybe it isn't true. That maybe they took his picture when it was in San Diego and they got it wrong. It's always in the back of your head. And you want it to be true so bad until your world falls apart and you see your son in the coffin. And I touched him. I kissed his face. I rubbed his hair. I put my head on his shoulder. And I said, I love you so much, like over and over. And I hugged him. And like I said, it was my toughest, toughest day. And luckily, Marshall was there. Debbie, thank you so much for sharing. Again, it's a day that we'll never forget. And it's a day that we never want any other parents to ever experience, but it is part of our journey together, and it's part of our journeys that we're each taking individually. So uh, right now, I'd just like to take a very short break, and I'd like to come back after our break and talk to you about what we did to try to put the thousand piece jigsaw puzzle 
that was thrown on our table that we call Matt's death together into some type of understandable uh, version where we could try to get some insight as to why we lost our son. So again, thank you so much for listening. I'll be right back after the short message. Thank you very much. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com again that's jeff spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com voice america is where you are and where you want to be join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned into What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Life. If you'd like to send Marshall Adler a question or comment that can be addressed privately or on a future program, please send an email to marshalontheradio at gmail.com. That's marshalontheradio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, thank you very much for listening. And I want to continue with uh, my discussion with... Uh, again, my wife, the love of my life, and Matt's mother, Debbie. Debbie, I'd like you to talk about what we did, as I mentioned before, to try to put the puzzle of Matt's passing together. Yes, we, like Marshall described, it's like a thousand-piece puzzle thrown on our kitchen table 
what happened? What was his thinking process at the time? Did anybody know? Did people not know? We did not know. His brother did not know. After talking to several friends of his in San Diego, they did know of some things that Matt was speaking to them about. And um, I think you're going to talk to some of them on a later show. Um, so I wanted to go through that um, we had to close up his apartment. It's just like little details that you never think about when this happens because you're in such a state of shock. And um, so um, a friend, we contacted a friend of his and said, can you get into Matt's apartment? And so the apartment people had said, luckily I was on Marshall's lease, so I did have some leeway. And I said, one of his friends was going to come over, and they gave me all these things. I guess they were sorry. I mean, it was like, um, well, you got to clean out the apartment. There's going to be a charge if you don't. Um, you have to hire these other people to come in and clean them, and it was going to be such and such money, and I said, please, can you just call them for me? You can understand that this is a very upsetting time for me and my family, and she said, no. She said, you have to do it. So, of course, I'm in shock, and I'm in grief, and having to call different people to, uh, to do some of these mundane things, according to me. I thought they were mundane. And so one of Matt's friends out there said, I will take care of it for you. So I gave permission for him to go into his apartment. I said, take whatever you want. I said, to, uh, we don't want of his furniture, um, you know, some of his clothes. I said, you know, you can uh, take that. Maybe some of his friends out there would like some of his t-shirts because he had a lot of t-shirts of different bands that he loved. And um, we said, we only want his phone and his computer because this is what we thought would give us some pieces of the puzzle. Uh, Marshall, do you want to talk about when we got the computer and the phone, some of the things that you did that we just had to have answers to? What we did is we had to hire a forensic expert to go through the phone and the computer because obviously, Matt, like everybody else in the world, had passwords that we didn't know it was his uh, phone and his computer. And so the forensic expert did a wonderful job and we were able to get information that we never would have been otherwise able to get. And one thing that we saw that really to this day perplexed us and me in particular yes. is I know for a fact, absolutely guaranteed, no two ways about it, that the last song Matt ever listened to on this planet is a 1967 song called Never My Love by the Association. And Matt loved music. You know, I'm a huge Beatles fan. He grew up with the Beatles, loved the movie Yellow Submarine. He loved some groups from the 90s that I've never heard of. And of all the songs, 
in the universe, I, to this day, do not truly understand why Matt chose Never My Love, 1967, from the association. And I want to ask Debbie to explain the significance of that because I, people that listen to the prior episodes know they talked to Steve Smelsky, who was the head of our grief share support group that we went to. And I want you to describe the last meeting with grief share where we had a bonfire. And I'd like you to tell people what happened with that. Okay. On the last day of our grief share, that was our first support group that we went to, um, and Steve was the facilitator of that. They have you write a note to your loved one, and then they have like a little bonfire outside. And um, I had wrote in my note that I loved him, I missed him, and that I would like for him to send me some signs. I just had to know that he was okay. Um, And that's basically what my note said. And so when it was thrown into the bonfire, and to tell you the truth, I can't say that I was really thinking that this really was going to work. Um, You know, I went along with it, and I think was thinking that it was a more symbolic uh, gesture to everyone um, with their healing process. But I really didn't think that it was, that he really was going to get that uh, message that I sent. And so um, after that, we went to our car, and um, we started it up, and we have, Marshall, did you talk about we have Sirius Radio? Yes, we have like 900 channels. So as soon as Marshall turned on the car, the radio came up with the song that Matt last listened to. And we looked at each other with amazement, and we both said, Matt. Matt sent us a sign that he heard our message or felt his message, and he just wanted us to know that he is okay. And that is how we, and I'll talk a little bit later about some of the signs that our son, Matt, has sent us. Now, I do want to go into, since we're starting at the beginning, And we went to two support groups. Uh, One, of course, is called Grief Share, and the other one um, is called Halos. And when we are in this group, which we have found very helpful, because what they said, they said, this is the only room that you will walk into that everyone in the room knows how you feel. Because being out in the real world, not unless they have lost someone to suicide, they do not really understand. So we loved this group because we became very close to these people. Because like I said, they were the only people who knew how much pain that we were in. And our journey, and it was going to be painful, 
how we were going to get through it. Now, one of the things that HALOS does talk about, and almost everyone in the group agrees, that uh, most people think that there are five stages of grief. Now, what we have gone to believe is that there are way more than five stages of grief, especially if you're talking about suicide. That um, grief is not linear. Um, all the five stages of grief, um, you might not go through any of them. Or you might go through some of them, and it's usually definitely not in that order. Like I said, with suicide, I think there are so many more levels that you go to. I know one uh, that they say um, is usually the first one is disbelief. Now, I think disbelief, we still have to this day. I mean, some days Marshall and I will wake up and we'll go, I can't believe he's gone. And since Matt didn't live in Florida, we didn't see him every day. So the disbelief is a feeling that we still have to this day. I mean, we can go weeks without ever thinking about it. I'm always thinking about Matt, but the disbelief. And so it's still strange to us um, to still have that feeling because we think that we have gone a long way in our healing process. Um, one of the other things, especially parents will go through, and this is pretty universal, is parental guilt. Um, this is a normal feeling because um, parents will say we should have known because your loved one, if it's your son or your daughter, I'm talking about parents, that you think you know everything about your child. You know, um, like their core, their soul, what they believe in, what they don't believe in, how their thought process is. Um, so you really do, and I will say like a false sense of security um, because a lot of times you don't know. You think that you do, and this leads you on a path that um, you'll be usually, unfortunately, amazed about how much you don't know. Um, I think what was helpful to us is we did go to a private grief counselor. Like I said, we did everything. We went to two support groups, and we had a private uh, grief counselor, which was very helpful. And I think when um, parents are going through the period of the parental guilt, I think it's especially important that you have to understand um, why you're feeling this way. And... They can tell you because um, they have a distance why that, that statement is not true. Um, and so our counselor was able, every time that we said we should have known, and then she would say, well, how, how do you think that you should have known? Did he tell you? No. Did he mention anything about any of the signs that you know are for suicide and we go no 
And they said, were you in constant contact with him? And we said, yes. And they said, did any of his friends ever call you and say that any signs that they saw? And we said, no. And she said, well, how in the world do you think you should have known? And so we told her it was our son. We thought in your mind that we felt guilt because we did not know. And we have spoken to many parents um, in our grief groups who say the same thing over and over. Marshall has a famous question. He asks every single person that walks in the door on our group support group that says, did you know? And everyone says, no, they did not. And so that's a big discussion um, in our HALOS group. Why didn't all these parents know? Um, some people in the group have lost brothers, sisters, nieces. And so we have a whole gamut in our uh, support group. But every single one said they did not know. And our facilitator said, if you would have known, you would have done something. And since you did not know, there was nothing that you could do. And that is one of the hard facts of grief. Um, the things you have to go through with parental guilt is that that's one of the things you're going to have to accept. And those are one of the things that I think we call a hard reality. And some of the newer people um, that are like two weeks out of grief, they are not ready to accept and to hear. Um, but it's absolutely true. And we just want to tell all the viewing audience, if you're going through that, that, um, that the feeling is normal and that it is a very hard thing to accept. Debbie, thank you so much for sharing because, you know, you and I have gone through this journey together, but obviously we've also gone through it separately on parallel tracks. And I know how difficult it's been for us to do this, but sharing our experience will hopefully help others who unfortunately may take this journey with their loved ones. So again, I cannot thank you enough for sharing. Uh, I do have to take a short break and again, I want to thank you so much for listening. Uh, uh, I want to thank Debbie for being my wife, being Matt's and David's wonderful mother. And I, but I want to thank her for uh, telling about her journey of grief today. So after a short break, we'll be right back. And again, thank you so much for listening. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? 
Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red's. Says Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned into What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Life. If you'd like to send Marshall Adler a question or comment that can be addressed privately or on a future program, please send an email to marshalontheradio at gmail.com. That's marshalontheradio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Thank you uh, for coming back and listening. And I want to uh, ask Debbie a very important question. I know what I've done to cope with the loss of Matt through my journey of grief. And I want you to tell the audience what you've done with your journey of grief and how you've been coping with this journey. Yes. Yeah. So the next uh, few minutes I'd like to talk about coping. I'll just say the first thing is that your whole world looks different. How you see people, different things in your life, um, you will be going and doing something and you'll have this feeling like, I know this is me and I'm going through all the things of my day, but it just seems different. It's not the same. Um, I think that grief, especially profound grief, it changes you even on a molecular level. That you just do not look or feel the same. Other people will think that you feel and look the same, but you are not the same 
nor will you ever be the same. Now, you could take that as a negative or um, through our healing process, you could look at it as you loved someone so much in your life that you feel this profound grief. Now, some of the things that I did, like Marshall loves to talk. I don't know if you know that, but since he is an attorney, that's what he does for a living. Now, I personally um, don't like to speak that much. Um, I like about the grief. I will talk sometimes about it. Uh, Marshall caught me on a good day. And um, other times, I really don't speak about it. I don't mind if somebody asks me a question about it. I'm more than uh, happy to, you know, help them on their journey. But I generally, through my life, not unless it's with my sister, my mother, somebody really close, I usually do not mention it. Um, One of the things that really bothered me, which um, is not, it's very funny that what you think. And when it first happened, your world stops. And I mean, it really stops. It slows, slows down. Now, I'm a big Facebook person, and I always like to keep in touch with all my friends and my family. So, like I said, I am always on Facebook. But, as you know, people are posting pictures of them and their families. And you're not going to believe this, they actually go on vacation. I couldn't believe this. I was looking at Facebook. My son just died. How in the world can you go on vacation? Like I said, this was a stumbling block for me. And Marshall finally had to say, Debbie, get off Facebook. Because everything I would be like, oh my gosh, you know where they went? And do you know what pictures they posted? I mean, it was very irrational. But at the time, that was exactly um, what I was feeling. Um, And everybody was happy. I go, my son just died. How is everybody else there in the world happy and going about uh, their own lives? Um, I will also say holidays are tough. But I say tough, you just, saying the word tough just does not really resonate exactly what it feels like. And the people that are in this grief with us, they totally get this. That um, you just take commercials, for example. Everybody's around the, you know, your table and um, whatever commercials that they're promoting, everybody's laughing, they're enjoying each other. Um, On Christmas, people under the Christmas tree, um, opening presents, and this will send you into a deep, uh, you call it depression, but it's really a very down place, especially if this is your first year. And so um, some of the people um, in our group will talk about different coping mechanisms, like I said. And one of the ladies said that um, she can't stand it. She can't take it. So she says she tapes all of her shows. And then 
she fast forwards through all the commercials and that's how she gets through it. Um, another thing that was suggested to us is do not do the same thing that you did. Either go on a vacation, don't have it at your house if you usually have it at your house, um, just change the scenery. Now for us, um, our son had just gotten a new job and he could not just get away. And so we did have it in the same place with the same people. But it was very comforting to us to have our son with us. So we could not imagine going away on a vacation or doing anything like that without our other son being with us because he still gives us great comfort. And um, so um, in our Halos group, they'll just say, be prepared for the holidays. Don't let it sneak up on you or be in denial about that it's coming and that thinking that you're going to be okay. Have a plan. They also will say different things about um, uh, other different things that you may can do. And they uh, will talk about different movies. They'll say, oh, this movie, um, if you're very sensitive right now in this time of the year, do not go see this movie. So everybody, because it's a trigger. And um, we can always talk about triggers later, but there are triggers everywhere. And triggers will send you back to the very beginning of your grief. I think Marshall's talked about the waves of grief. The waves of grief, as you start to heal, we're 14 months out, they do come less. But when they do hit, they hit really hard. And you will be knocked off your feet by them. Because you will think that you have come so far in your healing that you're not going to be affected as you were the first time that it happened. And I'll just tell you a few of the crazy triggers that, you know, have happened to me, which you're just not going to believe what happened is um, one of the things was um, a lot of times it does happen in a car. Some of the triggers are, um, it could be a show, it could be a movie, uh, music is a big trigger. Um, I don't listen to 90s music, because Matt loved that. I definitely don't go to the Lithium channel, because Matt loved that. It's just a big trigger for me. Even 14 months out, I just basically can't take it. But one like odd thing that happened is I was at Publix, which is a grocery store in Orlando. And I used to help Matt shop when he lived in the Orlando area with us. And I was going down the aisle where they have rice. And I passed by a microwave package of rice. And all of a sudden, this big wave of grief came over me. And I started to cry. And what happened was I used to buy that package of rice for Matt when we used to go grocery shopping for him. 
Now, why in the world would I think going down an aisle in the supermarket with rice would throw me into such a state where I pretty much cried through my, I wanted to leave, but I made myself stay and finish the process, even though the grocery counter girl was um, like, should I ask or should I not ask? And I just, you know, was just trying to go through, um, you know, my little uh, things that I had to get done that day with tears in my eyes. Um, I would like to also talk about afterlife and what we have grown to believe about afterlife. I'll just say that I'm a Christian. I've always believed in afterlife. Um, but Marshall um, has come around, and I'll let him talk a little bit about that. But I do want to say one of my things was that um, I wasn't a big sweet person before Matt passed. Um, every now and then, uh, I really didn't like candy. Um, for like Valentine's Day, I always get Marshall candy, but I don't want candy. Um, I like cakes and pies and stuff like that, but not all the time. Now, I love sweets, and Matt loves sweets. So now, after every meal, I have to have a sweet, and I can have a piece of candy and totally be okay with it. And when it first happened, what I would do is I would eat a couple bites of my meal, and then I'd eat a bunch of chocolate. So that was, if you knew me, that would be a very odd thing to do. And even last night, because um, I'm trying to lose a few pounds, um, I had a salad. And halfway through the salad, I was like, you know, I really just don't want this salad. It was nothing to do with the taste. I just didn't want it. But what I wanted, I knew I had a Hershey's chocolate bar in our refrigerator. And that's what I really wanted. So I told Marshall, nope, I'm full. And he was laughing. He goes, because you know you have chocolate at the house. And I go, exactly. So I'll let Marshall talk about some of the things that he believes now about afterlife that he didn't believe before. Thank you, Debbie. Yeah, as I mentioned before, I am a lawyer, and I'm probably pretty cynical about a lot of things in life. And I view my opinions based on evidence. And I'll just tell you two quick stories. Um, right after everybody left after Matt's funeral, Debbie went back to her room in the first, she always loved watching movies. And again, we had satellite TV, million movies. She just happened to turn the TV on and it went to the movie Ghost, which was, if you heard the first episode, that was the movie that I used in Matt's obituary. And Debbie called me in and said, that's a sign. And I said, okay, maybe something. We've had many other things, but I want to specifically tell you that uh, Matt's cousin, Russell, lived with us for years, and he came for a visit during Thanksgiving holiday, and we told him about these different signs that Matt, we thought, was sending to us, and what happened is this next sign, to me, was the convincer. We were all talking about electricity and things like that, supposedly is a way that people in the afterlife communicate, and Russell said that he hoped that Matt would send him a sign that uh, he could see that he was still okay. Russell goes to sleep, and within five minutes, all the lights in the house go out. Florida usually happens when there's a thunderstorm, there's no thunderstorm. Or if the subtransformer across the street blows out, it'll go uh, 
turn our lives off. Neither one of those happens. So me, Debbie, our son, David, and Russell all go in the kitchen and all the lights are out. And the strangest thing that happened is that our kitchen light, which is on the same circuit as our family room light, went on. Only the kitchen light, not the family room light. There was four of us there. It went on and off four times like somebody was sending us a Morse code. Russell got so freaked out, and I just started laughing. I go, Russell, Matt has always messed with you forever. Don't think it's going to stop with him in eternity now. So based on that, I truly believe that there is afterlife, and Matt is communicating with us, which I think gives me solace and Debbie solace. Yes, that we take it as it is okay, that he is okay. Wherever he is, he's okay. And I don't know because he um, died by suicide um, or however, but he does want to communicate with us that he is okay and that we should be okay because this is something that he chose. He suffered depression most of his life. I will say that we have uh, done everything that a parent, every drug um, he has taken, um, every modality that was available to him, everything that um, we could have done, we did, but it did not stop his depression. And the medications did make him worse. So when he was in California for his last three years of his life, which his friends out there said that was, he was so happy um, that it's odd and that's what threw us, that he was so happy and that that is when he chose to end his life. And at that time, he was under no medication. You know, it's interesting because we've talked to many people who've told us that their loved ones have passed away when they were at their lowest point. I think it does give us solace that Matt passed away at his highest point. He was the happiest time of his life. He was doing things that he truly loved. And I think he just felt and knew it was his time. And I think if he was here, he would tell us that, again, we're all going to be at that place sometimes. All of us will be there. And he was fine with the fact that it was his time and we should be fine with it. Obviously, we're not fine with it because we're his parents. You always want more. You know, as I've said previously, Matt being involved in the movie industry, he always would tell me that the great performers want to leave the audience wanting more. And anybody that knew Matt, and especially his loved ones and us as his parents, we always, always, always want more. So Matt being the, thre- the, the theatrical movie person that he is, he felt it was time for us to want more. So uh, speaking of wanting more, I wish I had more time for Debbie to tell about her journey but we have to break for today's episode, and I want to thank you so much for listening. But I do want to tell you that if you or somebody you know or a loved one is struggling, 
please know that help is available by contacting a medical mental health professional, calling 911 if it's warranted, or calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Debbie for sharing her journey today, and I hope that you can see by our discussions today that grief is an individual journey, as individual as the people on this planet, that everybody's going to take a different path. And again, I want to thank Debbie so much for opening up and telling her journey and helping me go through my journey. Well, thank you very much and we'll, for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. And have a wonderful week. Thank you. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Life. We hope we've given you some insight concerning the issues of surviving and thriving after the suicide death of a loved one during our program today. Please join your host, Marshall Adler, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you have a good week.